Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Today's episode is brought to you by Lexum Press. Visit the Lexum Press website to receive 30% off of Andreas Kostenberg's latest, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. To purchase your copy, simply go to lexumpress.com slash product slash 1949-54 slash 1st-2nd-Timothy-and-Titus dash evangelical slash biblical slash theology slash commentary to order your copy for 30% off today. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today with me is my friend, Ray Rhodes. Ray, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Well, Dave, it's good to, good to be with you again. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, man, it's great to, great to have you. Can you uh, just catch us up briefly on what's happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Yeah, uh, well, things are going well. Our church is, has done well by God's grace through the COVID crisis. In fact, our church has grown uh, during during that time, Grace Community Church in Dawsonville, Georgia. So we're thankful. It's only by God's grace uh, that that has happened. I know a lot of churches are facing difficulties and stresses, and we should be praying for pastors for certain. Uh, yeah, I've got six daughters, Dave, you, you may remember, and then uh, two are married and one is engaged. So uh, we're looking for an April wedding for number three. We've got one in college and two still at home. I still have a an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. She just turned nine. Yeah, Abigail is our nine-year-old. So we still have young children. We've got older children. <laughs> <laughs> in our home. But uh, things are going well. The Susie book, is, uh, which we talked about last time, Susie, uh, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, that book has been has done so well by God's in God's providence. It's The third printing is almost gone. The uh, fourth printing is coming out in January with uh, in paperback. So it'll be the fourth printing of Susie, uh, which we're very delighted about. Awesome, brother. Well, that's so so encouraging uh, to see and uh, hear what, what the Lord's up to. I, I love seeing your updates and follow them closely closely. So I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Can you uh, tell us a bit about the, your new book, Yours Tell Heaven, The Untold Love Story of Charles and Susie Spurgeon, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Yeah, I was, I've been excited about their love story even before the Susie book. In fact, I was already thinking about a book on Spurgeon's marriage. Uh, there, as, far, as far as I know, there's no work at all that's devoted exclusively to his marriage. Uh, and you, you may remember when I was in seminary, I did my doctoral thesis on the spirituality of Charles and Susie Spurgeon. And I learned more about their marriage through in that time. And then in the Susie book, I explored their marriage a good bit in that book. And I still felt at the end of that, there's still more of the story to tell. And uh, you do. And I, we love Spurgeon, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I like, I love reading Spurgeon. Yes. So that's true. But I really love reading about Spurgeon, the person. So, uh, you know, with Spurgeon, Spurgeon, it's, his material is gold. You can pick up any of his books or any of his sermons, read one page and be convicted of sin, be convinced of the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
and and just be compelled uh, by the love of Jesus. I mean, he is all about Christ. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes before I'll preach on a topic, I'll see if Spurgeon has written anything. <laughs> and I will read it, read it out loud uh, before yeah. going to the pulpit. And that just sort of saturates my mind even more with Christ. Mm-hmm. So, But I really love reading about Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. And I love reading about his his life, his, uh, his, t- his life and times, and that of Susie's as well. I've often told that about uh, folks that about C.S. Lewis. Uh, we love to read Lewis, but I, when it comes to C.S. Lewis, I love reading about C.S. Lewis, <laughs> maybe more than reading his works himself. Uh, so yeah, I've, I think there's there's more of the story to tell. I wanted to expand on some things that had already been mentioned in the Susie book, and it's a story for the ages. Uh, a lot of times we'll see a very famous person, whether they're Christian or not, in history, uh, and, and their marriage is often a mess, or it's just not what we uh, would imagine a loving marriage would look like. Yeah. But with Charles and Susie Spurgeon, uh, you know, the, the romance was strong. The communication was fantastic. Their sense of unity with one another through hard times was uh, was fantastic as well. Uh, there's just so many lessons. And it's not the ordinary marriage. You know, it's for ver- various reasons. Spurgeon's fame, uh, but also their suffering, their, the intensity of both of their sufferings, and then their frequent separations, which uh, causes some people to wonder if Spurgeon really loved her that much after all. If he loved her more, we imagine in a modern-day America, why wouldn't he be spending more time with her? And why is he gone so often? Those kind of things. So I wanted to explore some of those themes, and uh, they're just life-precious lessons for you and me, brother. We're both married. We need help. So <laughs> I, wrote to, I wrote to help us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, you did well, brother. You did well. You know, uh, I, I so appreciate that you asked me to endorse the book. Um, just read that real quick, you know, in Yours Tell Heaven. Ray Rhodes beautifully shows how the love of Christ unites a Christian man and woman in union with one another before the Lord for life under him. Through Ray's book, readers gain insight into Charles and Susie's love story that provides Christian couples today through their example of what an enduring Christian marriage, grounded and shaped by the world, looks like, along with the effects such a marriage can have on our world today. So, guys, I this is going to be a really good book that you'll you'll definitely want to uh, pick up. We we need examples, right? We need we need help, as you said so well, right? So you've given that to us in this book. So thank you. Thank you for that wonderful endorsement. Amen. <laughs> what uh what makes the story of uh, Charles and Susie and their marriage so captivating to people? Yeah, uh, for folks who know this. Them. Uh, of course, Spurgeon's whole life, he, he said, my life has been like a fairy dream. <laughs> it, it, it is the most fascinating life uh, to think that this country preacher moves to London and became becomes the most famous preacher in the world and one of the most famous Victorians in the world, mm-hmm. not just in Christianity, but in all the world. He was an important, he was a, he was an earth shaking figure, if you will. So uh, yeah, that's the, the, the fact of his fame and the uh, the woman that he married so very different from him as far as their culture and how they came together and how she just bought in to who he was and what he wanted to do and threw her whole life and support behind that. Uh, and he had to have her, he had to have a woman like Susie Spurgeon to have survived and to for us to have the sort of Charles Spurgeon that we have today. I, I truly believe believe 
that if he had not had her, we would not have him, if that makes sense, <laughs> and to the extent that we do today. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same way about my wife. You know, I wouldn't be able to do, I tell people, and I, I'm, I'm sure you probably see me say this on social media, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without my wife. And that's, that's literally true. I, I wouldn't be anywhere near the writer that I am today without her uh, uh, helping me to write. Uh, when I, when we first, when she first started editing my work, she, she would uh, make me print it off double space or triple space or whatever. And um, she would mark it with a red pen and uh, didn't know how to edit podcasts when I started this. Um, so she showed me how to do that. Um, you know, in, I mean, there's not one aspect of my daily life where she doesn't somehow impact my life, you know, and by extension, my, my ministry to others, you know, so, and that, I, that goes both ways, of course, with the husband and wife, but, um, she, you know, I, she, we wouldn't even be able to, I wouldn't be able to have the magazine, uh, for example, cause she edits that without, without her, you know, editorial eye on it. Plus I don't have the time to give all that attention to every article that, that it requires. So without her, that wouldn't even exist. So in some ways, you know, I, I just think of that, what you said is, it just reminds me of my wife and, um, <coughs> just how precious she is to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can you imagine trying to do what you're doing and your wife's pulling against you or not encouraging you and not being supportive of you? And there's just, it's impossible. I mean, I know guys do that. They go to work and they, they plow through things, but the joy of being able to work, knowing that your wife is with you, that you, that you're together, you're with her, she's with you. We are a team. Uh, and it's invaluable. You know, my wife doesn't write any of the words for my books. Uh, she looks at them, but if she never even looked at the words of anything I've written, knowing her support and knowing that she loves me, knowing that she's cheering me on and she's happy for me to be doing this and wants me to be doing it. Uh, yeah, it makes, it makes it so, so much better. And for Spurgeon, you know, there's really, you know, all of our historical heroes, is, you can usually find some issue, some problem, something that, uh, would is a hindrance to their life and ministry in in their relationships uh, in their relationship with their wife often even their home and family but with Spurgeon it's really difficult uh, I mean there are problems that they had you know physical problems and you know they had opponents theological opponents and others but their relationship is so beautiful uh, it's it almost defies imagination mm-hmm. to see uh, you know and I've dug a lot and I couldn't I've just not found any the, the major marital issues that they struggle with, you know, other than the the normal things of life, like all of us do, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 That's, that's awesome. That's very encouraging. How can the marriage of Charles and Susie uh, help Christian couples today with their marriages? Yeah. I have one, one of the chapters in the book is on the spirituality of Charles and Susie, uh, which is, I think a very important chapter in the book. And it's certainly the most important thing in marriage. Uh, You know, first of all, they both had a a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They both were soundly converted. They both had uh, strong, credible professions of faith in Christ. And they both, had a, a zeal for Jesus, both of them. Uh, you read it, and, and thankfully Susie's books are—you know—we can read her books as well as Charles's, and it's—they're—they're all—they're just dripping with Christ. They're dripping with the gospel, and so 
what we want to take, one of the big things I want us to, to take from their marriage and how they can help us is their commitment to Bible reading and prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, just If we just narrow it down to those two disciplines, of course, they, they love the church and all the other disciplines we might think of, but Bible reading and prayer. Uh, and Susie read through the Bible every year. I think she, you know, probably 15 or 20 times she read through the entire Bible. Uh, she uh, really liked meditating on small portions of scripture. Mm. So she would read, uh, she had a, a, an annual a one year reading plan, but then she really liked to take a verse and just meditate on one verse of something that she had read. And she actually found more benefit for her heart in some ways from doing that than the lot longer readings of scripture. Uh, so both of them did that. In fact, both of them love, and you can see that in Spurgeon's sermons, how they take one verse or a section of a verse and his whole sermon sort of grows out of that, uh, his meditation on that passage. So uh, Bible reading and memorization and meditation, uh, and you read their letters, you read their books, and they're just always, they're so conversant with scripture. And I know this is dear to your heart, the books you've written that, that you, that you've, that you're writing and you've written on the scriptures, they were conversant conversant with scripture. It was just, it just flowed out of them. So in a letter in their book, you know, Spurgeon's talking about one topic and he's just dipping into the Old Testament, dipping in the New Testament. He's, he's, whether he's teaching a passage or writing a letter to a friend, he's using scriptural illustrations. They are so, they're as real to him as the tree out in his front yard. <laughs> I mean, he sees them, he knows them, he interacts with them and uh, she does as well. And so to have that sort of, you know, he, he said of Bunyan that you cut Bunyan, he reads Bibbling, uh, bleeds, bleed, uh, bleeds the Bible. Same is true of Spurgeon, uh, Charles and Susie Spurgeon. They just blood scripture and prayer. And and they were very real about that. I mean, Susie Spurgeon would talk about having this great time in prayer and scripture reading uh, in the morning. And then a little while later, she's facing temptation and doubt and difficulty and struggle. And all of us can relate to that. We can leave our a time of Bible reading and prayer and feel like we're on the mountaintop. And then a little while later, we get a an email, we get a phone call, we something happens, and we uh, we track downward. So yeah, I think that's that's the key. Everything else, if that's not intact, everything else is superficial. Uh, the romance, the communication, all that is superficial if the spirituality is not in place. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I uh, again have to be honest. Uh, there's there was times in there's been times my wife and I have been married almost 14 years. It'll be 14 years in February, and there've been times where. You know, I love my wife, you know, I really do. But it's like sometimes <clears throat> there's been times in my marriage where I haven't felt like I love her, you know, like the feeling of love. And I'm just like, Lord, I, I do love this woman. Help me, help me to love you more. You know, help me to love you. Cause like what you said earlier, you know, our, our love for the Lord fuels our love for <clears throat> our spouse. And, you know, if we don't have that connection in, in our union with Christ, you know, in our communion with Christ, as you're touching about, you know, we, uh, we don't have our, our love will wane for our spouse. And, uh, so that's what I was praying for, you know, when in that moment I was praying, God increase my love love for you so that my love for my wife will increase so that it doesn't grow dry and cold and just, you know, calculating just, just another thing that I'm, you know, doing. Um, and I think, I think for couples that, that kind of prayer got that, I believe that not only is that prayer biblical, right. But I also think that it will help marriages, um, you know, that are, that are struggling, you know, they're struggling to, to, to deal. We'll talk about conflict, um, you know, and another thing I 
I would say is about Bible reading is it's like Susie, just read a little bit. You don't have to, like I read, I listen to the Bible. So when you're getting ready in the morning, uh, spend a few minutes, download the app, you version on your phone and listen to the Bible. You know, you don't have to, you can make it through sequentially if you want. Um, oftentimes I'll pick a book that I'm going to study or read. So I, I just wanted to re- listen to the Psalms. So right now I'm going through the Psalms. I'm almost done with that. So I might go to, a, I don't know what I'm going to go to next, but you know, you can listen to it through, um, but sometimes just focusing your attention. Um, another thing I tell people is pick the book, listen to the book that your pastor is preaching through. Um, if you, if you really are, don't have much time, at least do that, you know, and just listen to it over and over again. And you'll, you'll begin to pick up things um, that, you know, that are there, you know, the more times you listen to it, that the more you'll be able to get to know it and you'll become familiar with it. Um, if you're a pastor, I would say you should do that. You know, when I'm teaching through a book, I'm constantly always listening to that same book over and over and over and over again. You know, I know some people are like, well, you need to read the whole Bible. I'm like, I'm just one of these guys where when I'm teaching through a book, I just want to listen to that book and read that book. I want to get into that, that world of that book. So, you know, if you're really strapped on time, you can do the same thing without any guilt or shame or anything like that. Just, just get in the Bible. So. Yeah, yeah. I know my wife uh, loves doing that with other books as well. I mean, I, I've, I've always, the Bible is easier for me to listen to other books. I've always struggled listening to an author, uh, an author a book by a regular author, uh, but she, she benefits a lot from, and manages her time better when she's able to listen to a book while she's working and, and whatnot. So that's a great, we, we're just blessed with technology, you know, <laughs> And that's one of the blessings of technology. This morning, I'm in the gym. I'm listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones preach from the text I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday or on the theme I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday. And then I followed that with, you know, I'm still in the gym. I listen to John Piper. (laughs) I I may listen to Al Mohler's briefing as I'm jogging, you know, and Steve Lawson and Alistair Begg. I mean, these are guys that are just right at my fingertips. While I'm doing something else, I'm listening to to those guys. So, yeah, that's, uh, and when, yeah, the scripture being the main thing. So I appreciate what you said there, Dave. And to, we have more time than we think. We have to, you know, we just have to learn how to uh, utilize that time for God's glory and to get the most out of it. My temptation is to jump in my vehicle and turn on sports radio because I'm a, I love college, especially during this season, college football season. Uh, and uh, my temptation is just to do that. And I, all I have to re- really do is turn on my phone and listen to Alistair Begg on the way to the store. So that's better. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I just have to, I, uh, I, I, I follow, I follow all sorts of sports and I read about it and um, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with those things, right? It's just what's ultimate, what's ultimate right. in our lives. Right. I follow high school recruiting like nobody's business in, in NFL and all of that and golf, but it's not uh, it's not ultimate. There was a time when it was ultimate. Golf was my entire world, um, but you know it's not now. And the difference is, is I'm not I'm focused on what's most important. If we just keep that perspective, that's that's a good thing. So how did uh, how did Charles and Susie handle conflict in marriage? Yeah, that, again, that's. Uh... That's one of those tough issues because part of it may be the the age in which they live, Victorian age. Uh, we know, I mean, we know that both to use Dave Harvey Dave, Dave Harvey's uh, book title that two sinners said I do and Charles and Susie said I do. Same with you, you and your wife and my wife and I. So we know they had they had problems. We know they had difficulties. We just don't know exactly what they were, and they really don't allude to those sort of conflicts in yeah. marriage. Uh, the, the clearest thing that we have is during their engagement. 
Testament. When Charles simply forgot about her, you know, you know the story very well. He's going to preach at a large facility and they walk in the door and he turns to go his direction, completely forgets about her. She gets her feelings hurt and she, she runs home to her mo- mother about a, a mile away and, and uh, doubts the relationship, you know, uh, and her mother wisely uh, navigates them through that. And she, but she made a decision at that point that she didn't want to do anything to hinder his ministry, but there's not a lot of, uh, information about any conflicts during their marriage. And I think the way that that was dealt with was that they were such great communicators. They they kept short accounts with one another. Spurgeon, this is this again is almost beyond belief to me. He wrote her every single day that he was gone and he was gone a lot. Mm. Uh, so it's easy for us. I, I don't always even send an email every day when I'm on the road. I mean, I get wrapped up in what I'm doing and whatever. But he wrote her, dip pen is what his prefer, preferred to use dip his pen and ink, write her a letter every single day. And on the days in which gout had basically paralyzed him, he dictated letters to her through his secretary, primarily Joseph Harold, who was his primary secretary that, that traveled with him. Hmm. So that sort of communication, them writing back and forth, I think helped them to navigate whatever issues they may have faced, yeah. but also just kept them so close that they didn't allow conflict to uh, any daylight to get between them and uh, their hearts. Yeah, that's, that's- that's good. Yeah. Just being really intentional about these, these kind of things, like you're saying is just, I know in our, in our marriage, in my marriage, <coughs> I've had to do that myself. Just realizing, I mean, there was times when, when we first got married, when we had conflict and the problem was I was being stupid. You know, uh, my job is to, to lead the home, you know, uh, under, under Christ and by his word. And I sat there in my room, uh, this first few years of marriage. And I said, you're a Christian leader. And then, you know, the whole Holy Spirit starts convicting me and I'm like, you need to go in there, ding dong, and apologize to your wife and start keeping shorter accounts. You know, I knew all those things, but I needed to do those things. And so that's really where, you know, where we were going to talk about friendship and that's where trust is built. You know, it, it, it took my wife a little bit of time to recognize, oh, he actually means the apology. I remember one time I was preaching at a men's retreat at our church in Idaho, and I was talking about apologizing specifically to your wife. And one guy said, I'll never forget this. You mean I have to apologize specifically to my (laughs) wife? It's not enough to just apologize? I'm like, dude, are you, I didn't even say that, but I'm thinking, are you serious right now? Uh, but, you know, it is hard to apologize specifically. Yep. But that's what your wife wants to hear. Yep. She really wants to hear, hey, I'm not just sorry for this thing that I did. I'm sorry because of you did this thing. She wants to know that you understand what you did. And it probably will, if you've never done that before, it probably takes some time, you know, for your wife to come around and understand oh, you actually mean this. But over time, as you do it, your wife will understand, hey, you're not trying to be cold and calculating or trying to get out of anything. You're actually owning up to it. Mm-hmm. And you're actually sorry. And then and then you have to match that with action, you know, by the grace of God. And so. Yeah, I, uh, I see that. And, you know, I think the one of the closest sort of insights we get to how they, another close insight how they got they managed that was uh, Spurgeon did feel regret uh, for not being there uh, for her. I mean, he she was taken care of. He had people around her. She was always cared for. She was never without care. But you can pick up in some of his letters, especially after they're married. Uh, he reflects back even on that incident where he forgot her and said, now that I'm away from you, 
I understand. <laughs> Uh, I understand what you were feeling. And so he, 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 you feel that tension in some of his letters that he knows he is away from her. He wants to be with her. And yet the ministry is, is his calling, you know, and she's, she, that was her belief as well. There's even one occasion where he's uh, away from home and he gets a letter that he gets a, a telegram that she is near. They think she's fixing to die. And uh, so he's preparing to go home. And then she communicates by telegram, do not come home. Stick with what you're doing. I'm fine either way <laughs> in the sense, you know, if God takes me, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. And I'll, I'll be okay. I want you to stay. Uh, so, yeah, there was, there was certainly those feelings. They both missed each other. You can tell that in their letters. He would write her and say things like, uh, there's only one thing missing from this beautiful day and these beautiful experiences. And that, that one thing is you. Mm. He always wanted her with him and she would have traveled with him more if she had not been so afflicted herself. So it wasn't that they didn't want to be together. It wasn't that they didn't feel the tension of not being together. It's just the, the physical issues. And in her case, the doctors would say, you've got to stay put. Uh, she could travel a mile down the road and when she's really suffering and suffer 10 times more. In Spurgeon's case, they said, you have to leave. <laughs> you have to go to warmer climates, uh, especially from 1872 till his death in 1892, uh, when he was making those uh, trips to the French Riviera every year. That's That was really by doctor's uh, prescription. And Spurgeon found help in doing that. So she had to stay. He had to go. Uh, beyond the fact of his ministry trips, which were frequent. Yeah, that's that's really good. How did, how did Charles and Susie grow in friendship in their marriage? Yeah, uh, a, a few things. One, the, the letters are great. Uh, the more letters you can read between those two, the, the better. There are a lot more of Charles out there. There's not as many of Susie to him. Uh, she wrote him, but for some reason, we don't have those like we do of Charles. They had fun. Uh, they laughed. Uh, they laughed together. And, you know, Spurgeon had a sense of humor, a mm -hmm. strong sense of humor. And he was criticized uh, if by some who said, you shouldn't use humor in the pulpit. And Spurgeon says something to the effect, if uh, if you know, if you knew how much I held back, you would commend me rather than criticizing me. <laughs> <laughs> so, he he certainly re revered the pulpit and he, he feared the Lord, but he didn't see that there was any inconsistency between fearing God and enjoying with a belly laugh, the funny things of life. And so he and Susie would do that as well. Uh, they, they laughed together. Uh, they, they communicated well and they were friends. Uh, there's no one that he wanted at his side more than her. And there's no one that she wanted as her, as her side more than him, even though both of them were surrounded by other people. Charles had this little entourage that traveled with him and Susie had, uh, you know, Spurgeon's, uh, stay and life was of such a nature that allowed him to hire a number of, of uh, workers at his home, including dressmakers and cooks and uh, yards, yards keepers and the whole nine yards. So they were, she had people around her. And then in her closest friend outside of her husband was a lady that started out as simply a servant of the home an employee of the family and became her closest companion. And after Susie died, she kept the book ministry going as well. Uh, so yeah, they, they just enjoyed being with one another. They laughed together. They wrote the sweetest letters to one another. He would draw pictures. 
don't know if you've ever seen the book that um, Nancy Reagan put out, bring the Reagans into this conversation. She wrote a, the love letters of Ronald Reagan, uh, hmm. exactly the exact title. I gave it to my wife on Valentine's day in the nineties. And we love that book. His letters remind me of Charles Spurgeon's letters to Susie in some ways. Huh. And one of those is he would draw, Reagan would draw little pictures, stick figures and things like that. And communicating in some way his love for uh, Nancy. And this, Charles Spurgeon did the same thing. He would, he was quite an artist though. He, uh, he would draw things and include them in his letters. And <laughs> so they just had, they had fun. They were not, they were not full of themselves. Yeah. Uh, that's the way, that's the reason, that's the secret. If one of the secrets for Spurgeon's fame, uh, which he never sought out was that Spurgeon uh, related to, even though Spurgeon is this big time pastor and this accomplished man and brilliant thinker, he loved people, regular folks. And he was as kind to uh, the doorkeeper, the janitor, as he was to the prime minister and other dignitaries. And he, he knew both. And he, he, knew, he remembered their names. He, he might write letters. He, he just loved regular people. And Susie did as well. I mean, she had a heart, as you know, for poor pastors. And so folks knew that uh, in Charles and Susie Spurgeon, they had a, they had a friend uh, that identified with them. Sometimes we, we imagine that how, how can a, a bill, you know, they're no, they were not billionaires, but just imagine in our culture, some wealthy individual, how can they relate? to so well, you know, I can think of some examples that are popping into my mind. Uh, How can they relate so well to the poor? or to people of lower station in life. And it's simply because they're not full of themselves. You know, they see their lives as they, they're called to serve. And I think that was true of Charles and Susie. They served one another and they served, they served others. Yeah. Yeah. Three, there's three things I pray for every day. That's uh, humility, faithfulness, and focus. Mm. You know, um, mom's, my mom's like, what happens if your book goes big? I'm like, I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, all I care about is if people are helped, you know, and that should be our attitude. You know, our attitude, we, we have this whole platform mentality, you know, that it's like, but one, one thing that beat this out of me was I was teaching a Bible study and nobody knew who anybody, nobody knew who anybody was, you know, and I thought I was kind of a little bit arrogant at the time and I uh, thought, oh yeah, I might get my articles read a couple thousand times, every article or whatever. And I thought, you know, I know all these people or whatever but nobody in that bible study knew anybody they mm-hmm. didn't know name name so such and such person they didn't know such and such ministry and it finally got through my head they don't care about any of that <laughs> but they sure care about you yep so you should probably stop talking about that uh and i did and you know then they then they respected me mm-hmm. they saw me as a as a person mm-hmm. that they could trust and open up to and it, and it didn't matter all those other people what does that mean it means i think oftentimes we get our validity from too much from all those things you know we read so many people read our article or our book or <coughs> hear our sermons or however many times we get downloaded or whatever and that's what we care about and, and i'm not saying that those numbers are important you know they represent real people who are being really helped and we should be thankful for that but at the end of the day what matters is, is as you're talking about with charles and susie they cared about people and they minister to them and they love them and, and um people showed that back and they were drawn to them you know because of christ in them um at work in them and so you know you know that people are all like oh well what do i do to get to this point people ask me what do you do to get to this point and that point um 
get ready for the long haul, mm. you know, get ready for the long haul, get ready to be, are you going to be humble? Are you going to, are people going to be able to count on you mm-hmm. or are they not going to be able to count on you? I mean, if people can't count on you, then they're probably not going to be interested in what you have to say. If you don't, if they don't, if they don't know that you, they're, they're loved by you and cared by you, you know, because of Christ, then, you know, you're never going to be able to reach them. Um, they're never going to have any. And so, so anyway, that's where this whole beating out of me, the whole, you know, this whole metric platform thing happened because I just realized it's so, and I knew this intellectually, right. But in, but in my heart, it really hit me in that moment and just realized, you know what, all that is really pointless. And I got so, at the time I was so frustrated. I stopped writing publicly for a number of years, only in the last three years have I really started writing again for these places because I had to come out on the other side of of this whole thing because I really was frustrated by all the, the metrics. Um, and really what I was frustrated with it was more myself. Um, I, was, I was trusting it too much in my own sufficiency and not enough in Christ um, and the grace of God. And I was letting my frustration build up because because of all these things. And it just really wasn't healthy. Um, so when I pray for humility and faithfulness and focus, I'm, I'm just praying for me, you know, and I can just encourage somebody to, for, to the same end, you know, don't get frustrated by if you don't have a book deal or speaking engagement or Whatever it is, if you if you keep focused on the long term goals of serving Christ faithfully and humbly serving people and loving them, you know those things might come or they might not. But people are going to appreciate the work that you're doing, whether that's writing or speaking or whatever you're doing. You know, um, right. there help. So yeah, I have a Dave. I have a friend uh, that's uh, been an editor for a long, long time, and years ago he we were having lunch together, and he said, Ray, remember when you write? And this was some of my early attempts, my early books and stuff. He, he said, remember when you write, write to serve people, write, love people enough in your writing to serve them, not to show off your, your abilities. I mean, that, that's, that would be hard for me to do, you know, limited abilities, but uh, <laughs> uh, write to serve people. And that's always stuck with me. And one of the things I appreciated about the last book, I mean, uh, as I said, Susie's done really, really fantastic. I, I had no idea. Uh, I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't know. But what, one of the things that excited me about that, that I thought Spurgeon would appreciate is that it wasn't uh, reviewed in all the academic journals. And I love academic world. I mean, I would be there today if I was not so old. I'd be back in school. Again. I love that world. I love read. I love those guys. I'm not uh, downplaying that at all. But it was just picked up by uh, regular folks who, who told regular folks about the book. And it was really grassroots uh, interest, the way Spurgeon would have wanted it. I think uh, that's the that was the way he he ministered. And and I, at first I was thinking when the book came out, I'm, I'm, I was thinking you know a little pridefully, I hope that this person picks it up and this person says something and this <laughs> person, you know, or whatnot. And and it ended up it didn't matter. <laughs> Yep. It was, uh, you know, just godly people who love the Lord and want to learn more about his servants in history. And that's the way I write. Uh, I mean, I, one, I can't write in any other way. I don't have the abilities, but I just want your family, your, you know, your regular families in my church to pick it up and say, this is helpful. This has blessed me. This helps me to see more about the greatness of Jesus 
and uh, more about how to follow the example of, of the godly in history. So I'm thankful. If God can, if God can do that and has done that with anything I've done, I'm, I'm thankful to him. Uh, I, I have nothing to offer. Uh, any good thing that comes from me is by God's grace. And Amen, I'm brother. Thankful. Yeah. Me I'm too. thankful for you, brother. That's your spirit and your attitude as well. I mean, you're a gifted guy, and yet you're humble. You're pr- God is answering your prayers, so, and you're full of grace and kindness. Thank you so much for that encouragement, brother. I think the same of you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What do uh, Charles and Susie have to teach married couples about communicating with one another? Yeah. Uh, you know, how many, how many personal letters do you get in the mail? Let me ask you that question, Dave. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> very few. Uh, yeah. uh, we can look back in our, oh, just over the course of our ministry, we got some boxes up in our attic and, and the, the early years of our ministry just loaded down with Christmas cards. Mm. But you know what? Most people don't send Christmas cards anymore, even. No. And, and one, a postage stamp was 50 cents or 55 cents. I think so, yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's expensive to send Christmas cards. And, you know, there's lots of studies. You can Google it. And find, I mean, there's very few personal letters written. A per, an individual receives very few personal letters a year. Mm. It just doesn't happen much. When it does happen, it's a big deal. Wow. <laughs> there's a handwritten letter. <laughs> uh, dear Ray, we didn't, we didn't like your book. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, that it's just, it's encouraging when somebody takes the time to, to write. Yeah. Uh, so I wish there was a way and it could start with me and you, right? Yeah. Where we take our fountain pens and we write letters to people, real letters <laughs> rather than emails. Uh, they won't be able to read my handwriting though. So we well, have to print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll print. I'll type it up. Those first grade pads, you know, the, the, with the dotted line in the middle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need you get you some of those and <laughs> but I, I'll tell you one one beautiful season in my marriage and I'm gonna I'll get to the Spurgeon's communication but one beautiful season in my marriage is I, I decided I was gonna read through the Song of Solomon every day or a, a chapter every day over and over for a period of time not that Song of Solomon is all about husbands and wives but uh, there's some language in there I wanted to employ and I wrote my letter my wife a letter every day for about 90 days mm. uh, Sometimes it'd be just short. Sometimes I would type it uh, and I would just leave it in random places. So she'd find it during the day and she saved all of those letters. Uh, and it, it was a meaningful time and encouraging time. It really helped communication in our home. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think it's had long-term effects, even though I don't do that every day anymore. It was something we did. Now, like I said earlier, Charles did that every day he was away. Mm-hmm. He wrote her. So that was front and center was written communication. Now we do have email. We do have text. We do have, Twitter. We do have whatever you, I don't even know all that we have anymore. <laughs> the old folks like me are still getting more traction from Facebook, believe it or not. Hmm. I don't know how to do Twitter. I try, you know, <laughs> uh, and Instagram, my kids make fun of me. You know, dad, that's a dad thing. You know, that's not going to help your business. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty old for social media, I guess. Facebook fits me better. There's lots of ways we can communicate. So at least do something, yeah. but what if we picked up the pen 
and wrote a letter occasionally to our our wives. Uh, so that's that's what they did. They they uh, they wrote to to one another, and then when they're together, they, there's these interactions in their books, especially in Susanna Spurgeon's books about the book fund. She's got two books on the book fund: Ten Years of My Life and Ten More Years. I forget the exact titles. And she talks about talk. You know, she calls him. Uh, she's got various kind of pet names for him. He calls her wifey and various things. And so they're just talking back and forth. They're just communicating uh, with one another. And so I think that they're deliberate in that. Uh, They're on one another's mind uh, all the time. I remember reading an article from... Uh, someone writing for the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and he had some of the dangers of of uh, the traps we can fall into, or the indicators that a person is in trouble in their marriage. And one of the things he put on there was their social media interaction. When you never see pictures of them with their spouse together, everyone else, but there's nothing about them and their wives. So all that to say, we need to keep. I need to keep my wife on my mind all the time. Uh, and I need to communicate with her like Spurgeon did faithfully and regularly and thoughtfully. And, and sometimes that's very pragmatic. It's just that something needs to happen. But one of the things I've benefited from in reading the Song of Solomon o- over and over is that sometimes you need to write like that. And so my phone, when my wife calls me, what appears on my screen is from the Song of Solomon, Oh, Most Beautiful Among Women. So I'm getting a call. I've been embarrassed before. I've been in the shop getting my car worked on my phone and it's not a ringer. It says, Oh, you know, the, the voice, the computerized voice voice almost beautiful among women is calling (laughs) 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 Uh, so yeah that's uh they that that was uh that was it uh and they just helped one another out Mm, that's good i know um when when we were in idaho i was not only doing servants of grace but i was i was doing a lot at church and we were coming my wife was too so we were coming and going we were basically passing each other so there was really only a couple days where we were actually at home together um for at, at night you know because i would get home at like 10 and she would get home probably around nine after she was gone all day i'm moving we moved to california we we uh we just were more cognizant of being really more intentional, making sure we had dinner together and that time uh, to chat. And <clears throat> that was really, really helpful, uh, you know, on a number of fronts. So I would just say if you're in ministry and, you know, don't get so busy and with everything that's happening that you're not spending time with your intentional time each, each night, you know, make, I know that's not necessarily practical, but everybody can find, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whether that's before before bed, just talk about your day, talk mm-hmm. about what's going on. doesn't have to be at dinner. Some people are like, well, I can't do it at dinner. You know, I'm at a meeting or I'm at the hospital or whatever. Don't, don't take the idea and go that way. Take the idea and use it to however it fits for you. You know, for me, it was dinner. Um, cause I work at home and now my wife works at home. So even now we even have more time together, but mm-hmm. use that time that you have together to, to build that friendship, to be intentional. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll reap the rewards for, for your marriage. You know, you'll, you'll grow together more and, and, um, they'll have more conversation, deep, deepen, deepen your conversation and, um, your trust. I know like when I go to see my parents in Seattle and I come back, I'm like, man, I miss you so much. You know, I'm around her all the time, but I miss her so much because, <coughs> you know, I love my wife. I care about her. I, mm-hmm. I miss her. I, I want to be around her. And um, so I, I hope that's true for all of our listeners as well. Yeah. Well, where can we, uh, where can people go to find out more about your work, either online, on social media or otherwise, brother? 
Yeah. Uh, well, we, uh, we have a website now. It's uh, rayroadsjr.com. Nice. Uh, rayroadsjr.com. Uh, so that's, uh, that's up and going. Just type my name in and you'll see other things I've written uh, for Southern Equip, which is a part of this Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, recent article at Midwestern Baptist, the Spurgeon.org site. Um, nice. So yeah, you'll find me. You'll even find me on Service of Grace. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. my name, man. Yeah. yeah, great, great. I encourage people to find you on Facebook and yes. Twitter and Instagram, and you know you got your Susie Spurgeon's page and all that. So, well, yeah, I'm just making it up as I go on social media, but I'm yeah. trying to do a lot of different things there, and uh, and it's it's so uh, it's been good. You get to meet some of my family uh, promoting the book as well, especially Abigail, our nine year old. She's she's my uh, promotions manager from Georgia, so <laughs> <laughs> she's pretty precious and special for sure. Well, Ray, there's a lot that we could talk about about this this book. And just as we wrap up our conversation today, brother, can you give us a few takeaways? Yeah. Uh, was it Luther, I think, that said something to the effect of uh, you want your marriage to be such as when, you know, the uh, speaking to the husbands, that when you leave to go out every day, your wife is sorry to see you leave. And when you return in the evening, she's, she's happy uh, to see you back home. Uh, it's just that sort of delight in one another's company. And I think that uh, is true of the Spurgeons. You know, he was so, his son wrote after his, uh, their son wrote Thomas after Susie had died, both of them were dead. And he just mentioned how much his father wrote about his mother and how unashamed he was. He just blasted it out there for everybody to see. So, I mean, I think we can imagine if Spurgeon were alive today and he was using social media, we'd be seeing a lot of Susie's post out there from him, you know, because uh, <laughs> he wanted, he didn't, he said, I have nothing to hide. You can write my life in the sky. And he certainly wrote his love for Susie. Uh, his banner over her was love. And everyone knew. There was no doubt about that. So I would say to husbands and wives, let there be no doubt about your love for your spouse in private and in public. I've seen couples in public fighting and everything, <laughs> yelling at each other. But hold hands. I mean, you don't have to do a grotesque public d display of affection in inappropriate ways, but just hold hands, speak kindly to one another. That ministers to folks. They say, well, oh, that's encouraging for folks to see. So that, the communication bit, and then the spirituality. Uh, one of the things that Spurgeon feared is he loved Susie so much that he would put her above God. And he he, he told he, he talked to her about that, you know, and wrote to her, said, we've got to be careful that, that God is our supreme treasure, not not one another, essentially. And that was very, that's very much Puritan thought. The Puritans loved, I mean, they wrote a lot about marital love, and it will make you blush. People have this wrong idea about the Puritans and on many fronts, but in their marriages, many of them, they wrote very, very uh, detailed letters about their, and in, in, in their books about their love for their spouse. Uh, so it was, uh, it was that sort of uh, picture that Spurgeon displayed, Charles and Susie displayed for one another. No one doubted it. Everyone knew. They loved one another. They communicated with one another and they didn't put one another in a place reserved only for God. And so their spirituality kept them grounded and kept them focused. Yeah. That's really good, brother. Well, I've so enjoyed the time today. Thank you so much, brother, for coming back on. You're an encouragement to me and to many people. So God bless you. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And I hope your books uh, do well. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'd like to thank Lexham Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit the Lexham Press website at lexhampress.com slash product slash 194. 
4954-1-2-Timothy-Ann-Titus-Evangelical-Biblical-Theology-Commentary to receive 30% off of Dr. Kostenberger's commentary, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.